everybody. Welcome to a French Village podcast. I'm here with my brilliant friend, Ben Wittes. We are talking about season finale, episodes 11 and 12 of season four. Ben, hi. Hey, Sarah. I, I had homework this week and I did it. Oh, did I give you homework? What was my well, homework? Well, we kind of had a a little uh, memory dispute about how oh. much responsibility Danielle Larcher has for uh, the baby stealing episode. And so I went back and watched the relevant scenes from season one. And uh, uh, I I have the answer to our question. Is the Does the t-shirt hold up? Is Sarah always right? Or do we need a Ben's always right t-shirt? Uh, it's a little bit in between, actually. Yeah. Um, so uh, Danielle has more responsibility than I remember, but less than his brother uh, accuses him of, and less than the Spanish Republican fellow thinks, and less than you remember. So here is what happened. Uh, um, if we can get a cool uh, flashback. Uh, to season one noise, I don't, you know, some kind of cool <laughs> noise here. That would be awesome. Doodly, doodly, doodly. Um, so what happens is the father of Takiero shows up one morning at Danielle and Hortense's house, catches Danielle completely by surprise, and Danielle uh, lies to him by way of putting him off um, and getting rid of him um, and um, tells him he didn't, he wasn't in town that day and didn't, didn't deliver the baby. And there was no uh, uh, obstetrician in Villeneuve that day. And the guy goes away. Um, he then goes to the police station and makes a report of a, a missing baby uh, to Mercati, who comes back to the house and basically says, hey, it'd be just your word against his, um, and we can resolve it that way. And Danielle, uh, this is now same day as his, as the, um, uh, the guy shows up uh, after this conversation with Danielle, with Mercati, says to Hortense, we have to give the baby back. Uh, there's only one right thing to do, and they have quite an argument about it. So Danielle is definitely he he does lie to the guy, but within you know four hours of the lie is ready to give the baby back. At which point, Marquette and Hortense, without Daniel's knowledge, hatch this plot to have this guy arrested and sent to a concentration camp. Uh, and Danielle is not a party to that. And so I think I think you can say he bears some responsibility in that he is uh, definitely, uh, you know, lies to the guy. And you can totally understand why the guy thinks he's in on it. But he's actually by the by the middle of the day, he's all ready to give the baby back. And it's not him who, uh, you know, has the guy arrested uh, in order to uh, keep the baby. Yeah. And I think, so I don't know if you went any further episodes ahead, but like, then there's the part where he's, he discovers it right at some point that they've done this thing. And I guess this is, this is actually sort of quintessential 
Daniel culpability, like his range, which is his moral instincts are basically always correct, uh, right? Like he doesn't want to, doesn't want to steal the baby. He doesn't really have the conscience for that. Um, certainly doesn't want this guy, you know, like the, the, what Hortense and Marchetti do is just like pure evil. Uh, because not only are they taking the baby, they're trying to like get rid of the father. So he never comes back. Um, but I do think like Danielle, then there's like seasons of him back with Hortense and like, he does discover it all, right? He like knows what's going on. It's not like he goes to the police or anything else. And so I think if we were judging him in a contemporary context and we heard this story, uh, and, like, he did nothing about it while this guy's, like, in jail or in a concentration camp. Like, we would judge him slightly differently than we do on the show because he's consistently making, you know, decisions that we can understand, agree with, uh, and does a lot of good all the time. He's always doing good and trying to do good. But anyway, all of this is to say uh, that feels about right, which is just, uh, you know, the the... I, I just don't let him off the hook completely for, for the Techiero stuff. Yeah, so I agree with you. He is not blameless. On the other hand, when he is in that cell with his brother and his brother accuses him of, says, hey, I talked to the Spanish Republican who was shot yesterday, and uh, he says that you stole his baby and had him sent to a concentration camp uh, with a corrupt cop. I do think Danielle would have legitimately got to protest. Wait a minute, you know. That was uh, Hortense. That was Hortense, <laughs> Lady, Lady Macbeth over here. Uh, I, I may have lied to the guy, but I had nothing to do with sending him to a concentration camp. Fair, fair, yeah. Um, well, speaking of the cell, uh, I think that, look, this is, um, I think as far as it, these last two episodes of season four are extremely interesting. They're somehow managed to be both filled with action uh, and yet not feeling action packed the way the last couple of episodes did. Like they sort of, they unfurl kind of slowly. Um, Although they have some of the best scenes in the entire uh, show. Uh, the scene with Shasanya and, uh, and Lar uh, Marcel, Marcel. Uh, hanging out, waiting to get shot together, uh, and developing a strange love-hate relationship is a truly wonderful piece of filmmaking. So it is. So this is what this is why throughout the season, you know, it's hard sometimes for me not to get ahead of myself. But like the parade of people that come through Marcel's cell is like a tremendous like it's just like plot like like it's like main character after main character sort of shows up um but i will say i do want to start with um i want to know how you feel and it's it's not really a spoiler hopefully everybody's watched this but like how you had said at one point that one thing you were deeply confident of is that both brothers, Larche, make it through, that they're sort of the moral center of the show. And I will tell you, up until these episodes, uh, when I watched it the first time, I certainly thought had a kind of like main character bias uh, toward Marcel and figured, but they're, you know, end of, uh, not even the end, in the middle of, of, the, of the finale, uh, he and Chasson, yeah, are executed together um at dawn by Mueller and his firing squad 
Um, and and so what did you make of just overall, what do you make of the fact that Marcel, you know, season five or sorry, season four, we've got three seasons to go is is out of the picture? Well, so first of all, I think that uh, it's courageous of the show, not in a uh, Game of Thrones kind of let's take glee in killing off our main characters with sudden brutality. But, you know, let's be honest, the, uh, the odds of surviving the war as a resistance figure were not all that great. And the cheap thing for a show to do is to focus only on the people who do survive, you know, main character bias and all that. And the more honest thing to do is uh, to straightforwardly kill some of them off. Um, And I did not think that was what was going to happen with Marcel and Danielle. And I admire the show for actually staring it in the face and, and, you know, being willing to say, hey, you know, two brothers who you might get attached to who were strangely given their actual relationship quite attached to one another, um, you know, we're not going to tell you which one doesn't survive, but one of them doesn't end up surviving and it's going to come as a bit of a shock when it happens. And, you know, of course, it shouldn't be a shock. He's, after all, under death sentence in a cell being held by the Gestapo. Um, he's not, you know, he, he he's not like done well for himself in life. Um, but um, no, I was still surprised when it happened. And I was actually surprised that they went through with it and killed off Shasani too. Um, and uh, so I, I, I thought it was a, it was a bit of a, like when you actually realize that they're going to shoot him, um, which is that moment when they're, they show them walking down the hall. Um, uh, it's pretty, I, I found it pretty surprising. Yeah. And because the show is, you know, trying, like Suzanne is sort of uh, valiantly trying to get Lario to uh, to come up with a some kind of a plan. And so I guess until the end, you're sort of like, does something happen here? Does the resistance show up? But yeah, you're pretty sure when they're walking uh, that it's done. And in fact, I would say when they started sharing the Turkish cigarettes in the cell, I feel like that's when I knew they were done. Like, and your point about this great scene. So Chisanya ends up there. Uh, you know, the the episodes open with Chisanya doing sort of a uh, tough guy interrogation thing of the of the townspeople trying to find Antoine. Of course, these are all the people who had him on the ground, were beating him up, and now he's got the upper hand, and they're all um, they're all kind of uh, cowering in front of him and he's got a knife to a guy's neck. Uh, Marchetti kind of shuts it down saying this is actually a bad way to interrogate people because you got to find people who actually know the answers uh, to these things. None of these guys seem to actually know uh, where Antoine is. Um, But everybody agrees that the fact that they held this parade is deeply humiliating for both the French uh, sort of Vichy government and the Germans. And so they, all they need is Antoine's head on, like their careers all depend on it. People not being sent back to Russia depend on it. And so the hunt for Antoine becomes sort of the centerpiece of all of this, as well as just sort of an extensive blame game, right? There's a lot of finger pointing 
Uh, maybe not unlike what we're seeing right now with Afghanistan. Everybody's looking for who uh, to blame for something and trying to, uh, you know, well, I don't know that they're the same, but I just I blame bl- finger pointings on my mind uh, this morning. Um, and so there's a lot of finger pointing going on. Mueller tra- doing his best to track down a, both a both Antoine and a narrative that um, exonerates him from this being his fault. Um, and they basically decide Chasanya is going to be the fall guy. And uh, and much like a bowl of mashed potatoes in the face, uh, Mueller uh, basically says, you know what? He was the mayor of the town. That means he's the chief of police. That means this is his fault. Uh, they he, he sort of narrows down the fact that the calls were coming from the police HQ um, and that that means Chasanya is responsible and he quickly throws him in a cell. And I'm not sure that getting Chisanya's uh, death sentence off with doesn't sort of speed up Marcel's, like they decide to do it together. But anyway, that's how they find themselves in this cell together. And Marcel's clearly been in there a long time. His best friend is this cockroach. He's named him, he's given him a home. Um, But the scenes where Chisanya kind of walks in and they, um, you know, they start talking, they know exactly who each other are. They know each other's political ideologies. Um, and it's sort of a little similar to his conversation with Daniel, where like he's sort of grateful for the company, but he also wants to make sure that he calls Chisanya a fascist. Uh, and when Chisanya is kind of doing this, like, hey, man, what do you think happens to us after we die? Uh, Marcel is quick to say, I don't know. What do you think happened to all of those people you deported when they died? Uh, and, you know. He's, he's, he keeps, despite the weird kinship they do as two men who have decided they're going to die together, uh, he also accuses him up until the end of the things that he did. And Shasanya rightly uh, uh, throws it back in his face. Of course, these are not Marcel's personal crimes, but says, you know, dude, have you heard of the Moscow trials? Um, you know, uh, the Great Purge? Um, and you know, Marcel's, uh, uh, you know, calls Marcel on his political blindness to the murderous violence of his own particular form of totalitarianism. And, you know, not a lot of people in the show actually do that uh, with Marcel. Um, But, you know, Shasanya, you know, horrible, murderous fascist, though he is, uh, actually calls him on it and says, you know, we're both murderous, you know, willing to, you know, part of murderous authoritarian, totalitarian movements. Uh, I just admit it and you don't, and you think you have the moral high ground. And um, and I actually think that's kind of the moment where Marcel kind of develops a, a weird kind of respect for him. Uh, it's not, you know... They, they are both there in the same cell. They're both going to be shot because of their political activities on behalf of horrible movements. Um, they're both, they both believe in those movements. Um, you know, Shasanya actually barks at him at one point. Collaboration is the only solution, you know, like he like really believes his own, like smoked a bit too much of his own load, but so has Marcel. And, you know, Marcel has looked Stalin in the face and seen Jesus. And, um, you know, there's that's a special kind of delusion, too. And, um, 
And of course they're both, but at the end of the day, never the twain shall meet between their politics. They both would shoot the other one if they had the chance. And yet they're going to get shot together. And there's a certain camaraderie in that. Uh, and, uh, and they develop this very weird kind of quasi affectionate relationship that isn't wholly different from Marcel's relationship with Danielle. Yeah, and the absolute best part of this whole of the of this scene is at some point a priest comes in to read them, ostensibly to read them their last rites uh, or something, pray with them, and they both sort of simultaneously refuse the priest because, as as they both make clear, their only their higher power is politics to both of them. The things that they worship are kind of ideologies, and they're neither of them are much <clears throat> for the church. Are the higher power of the church. And uh, so they both send the priest away and then they both start laughing hysterically. And it occurs to me when I see this that you basically don't see Marcel smile like ever, let alone laugh. Uh, he's such a, he's such a sort of grim character occasionally with Suzanne or occasionally you get like this half smirk with the, with Gustav or something, but like he doesn't, he doesn't smile. He certainly doesn't laugh. And when he laughs, this like big laugh, uh, he interests Sonia. I just like, first of all, he's like so handsome when he smiles, uh, uh, even all bloodied up. But it is a, it's, it's some kind of moment. They found the thing that these two great movements have in common other than murder was atheism. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> they are the two great political, atheistic, avowedly atheistic political movements of the 20th century. And um, both of them in different ways um, uh, waged war on the church. Uh, the, uh, the, the Nazis in, in a very particular weird sort of way that we, it's probably a rabbit hole we don't want to go down. But um, uh, it is also the case, uh, and this is, I, it's been, 20 plus years since I've read it, but in Eichmann in Jerusalem, uh, 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 Hannah Arant describes, I believe, I, and again, please forgive me if I get this wrong because it's been a long time, but she describes Eichmann's last moment rejecting his last words. He basically says, you know, I'm a Nazi. I don't believe in the church. I don't believe in an afterlife. Um, uh, and it's, you know, a very pointedly atheistic uh, last moment. Um, and, you know, Hitler himself at one point said, you, you, you kind of either believe in the Fuhrer or you believe in the church. And, um, and uh, so these were like, it is quite right that both of them would have. And of course, the uh, the Marxist tradition is is. Uh, fanatically atheistic. And so it's quite right that the, like, you know, you'd have these two in a prison cell and they'd be arguing about whose, whose murders are real and whose are, are fictions and whose are justified. And, uh, but the thing they could really agree on is that first of all, some mass murders are necessary for history. And secondly, the priest can go, go to hell. Exactly. So um, so the last sort of piece of this is that before he's executed, uh, Marcel gives Muller a note uh, for Gustav, which, uh, and, and I'll just say on this theme 
of sort of the strange respect that people have for one another, even though they want to kill each other for just like being devotees of their political ideology. Like Mueller has said this about Marcel too, that he respects his father, uh, that he, or he says it to Gustav, that he respects his father fighting for his, you know, political ideology. Um, so as a gesture of respect, he does deliver the note to Gustav. The, Gust the note says, um, I love you, be a man. Um, which, uh, you know, that is either, depending on your interpretation, a very straightforward message or quite cryptic one. Um, because I'm not sure what that uh, Gustav quite knows what be a man means, nor do I actually in this context. I thought it was not. I mean, look, the, I like the first half of the note, the second half, uh, you know, what does that mean to a 12-year-old um, or a 51-year-old? Um, uh, I thought the, so this, the relevant sequence of events, I think, here starts in the previous episode, right, where Gustav has two opportunities to kill Mueller, uh, one with a gun himself and the second in the square when he could denounce him during the parade. And he doesn't do it. And then Mueller turns around and kills his father, having told him that he has a lot of respect for him. And then Mueller walks in with a note. You know, your father gave me this when I killed him. Subtext, because you missed your chance and didn't shoot me when, when you had the chance. And then you had a second chance and you didn't call me out to the parade. So, yeah, I have a lot of respect for him, but it sure didn't stop me from, from putting his ass in front of a firing squad. Um, here you go. Here's his note. Um, and Gustav, who's got one of these very inscrutable, blank, traumatized faces, which is simultaneously super expressive and super non-expressive, I don't think I have any sense how he's processed this. We know he doesn't want comfort from his Aunt Hortense. Um, uh, we know he doesn't say anything to Mueller. Um, so, but we don't know whether his reaction to this is uh, sort of like, oh, well, good, at least he respects my father and delivered his note, or whether his reaction is, I didn't pull that trigger when I have the chance, had the chance and I'm not going to miss another chance, which is, I think, kind of what the show is setting up. But um, definitely going to be looking in season five for uh, Gustav's revenge. Uh, it'll be as a 13-year-old, um, which is uh, a little early in life to start a hunt for revenge, but I'm, I'm, uh, I definitely think the uh, the finale episodes set up the question of what's Gustav's longer term reaction going to be to this, especially because Mueller's effectively living in his house now. Yeah. Uh, and then there's one other, uh, that's, it's a good, it's a good piece of foreshadowing. Uh, but there's one other sort of key thing that happens on the Chisanya front that I just want to note, which is that Janine comes to see him, uh, and is, you know, wants to get him out and, you know, doesn't understand why he's there. And Chisanya, for whatever reason, I mean, I guess just giving her the full picture, wants to make it clear that this is a not, this is a personal retribution from Mueller, uh, who, uh, I, you, I sort of, I sort of forgot 
uh, or didn't have front of mind until it until he said it. Uh, he makes it sound like he, he slept with Hortense Larcher as kind of an affair, uh, where we know he um, did it to. Yeah, it's a little uh, more yeah. of an extortiony, a little more of an extortiony, rapey kind of thing, rather exactly. than a fairy rapey kind of thing. Exactly, um, and we don't quite know how much Mueller knows about that part of it, because uh, that part's never expressed to Mueller that we see. Um, but he's right that that is part of Mueller. Just hates this guy, and that was even he already hated him, and then his wife having to go to him for the to help him is like even a bigger insult. So yeah, Mueller Mueller's, cal- Mueller's calculation is really lizard here. It's yeah, this guy has his claws in me. I have an opportunity to make my Antoine problem diminish by removing the claws and stomping on his neck. I'm going to take that. I actually don't think Hortense has sex with Hortense is really top of mind for him right now. Yeah. Uh, Well, what's great about this scene is Janine hears this uh, and basically just walks out on him. Like, uh, and... I would say that that is maybe the nature of transactional relationships such as theirs, that they are not of the deepest level. Not that she should take this information and, you know, be glad about it, but there is, um, he is about to be executed. So to the extent that she had real affection for him, uh, one might think that she would, uh, you know, I don't still, still want to see him off in the right way. But instead she's like, no one's coming to help you and I'm out. Yeah, I think there's also a connection here between this episode and the last episode where, you know, Janine, who is, I don't know, the fourth worst person in the show um, after after Muller, uh, uh, Shasanya, uh, uh, Mekiti, and Hortense, maybe fifth, I don't know, depending on how you, but she's like, she's really bad and she is totally cold. Yeah. Um, and she, in the previous episode, starts looking at Shasanya as a bit of a liability. That is, unlike him, she is able to see to the end of the war, and she thinks she's might at risk, quite rightly, thinks she's at risk of being strung up. And um, and then she sees him get beaten up at the at the um at the uh, parade, Um, she knows, you know, she goes behind his back to pay uh, basically blood money to the resistance to, to, um, and I think part of her is looking forward and saying, um, you know, a year and a half from now or whenever liberation's gonna be, am I better off with this guy or without him? and the only thing that holds her back is that she is in a bad people sex kind of way attracted to him and you know pretty into him and you know his you know she's quite the fascist too actually um uh and so then he's cheats on her and it removes that aspect of affection to the extent that she's capable of feeling affection um and so what's left? Why save his life? It's gonna. It's only gonna endanger. It's not clear you can do it, but you put yourself out there to save him, and then you know you're the guy who 
the woman who tried to save the fascist after, you know, after marrying the mayor. Like, like you're worse off with him than without him. And by the way, the money's hers, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, and she's got enough problems because of her dad's uh, being some kind of vichy muckety-muck. Um, and so I think she's just kind of like, you know, cut bait with this guy, um, which is, of course, exactly what, you know, what everybody's starting to do. Servier doesn't lift a hand to help him. Uh, and in fact, Servier kind of lets the, you know, helps the resistance escape in a way that we'll talk about later. Like everybody's now suddenly playing both sides. Um, and her way of playing both sides is, you know, fuck you, 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 you didn't, you, you know, you, I'm going to put myself out for you. Um, uh, when you're a liability, when the allies show up and you're sleeping with Hortense, give me a break, get shot. Yeah. So, so, and this is Servier's wife has now, cause she's also the one who kind of broke it to Janine in the first place. That is one smart lady. Uh, yeah, that's right. And so, and and so, you know, this this woman uh, who steals all of Servier's fries, and she deserves those fries because uh, she's the only one who can. They are so locked up in their bureaucratic prism. Like this is one of those kind of Trump um, comparisons you can make when, like, you're in an administration and you're like, "But I'm here doing this. I- I'm making it better. Or I'm she's doing Mercedes Schlapp." Well. No, because Mercedes Schlapp never did the right thing and said, like, you got to get out of here. Like, Matt Schlapp doubled down left and right on this stuff. I guess that's right. I just meant just, I mean, just in terms of bloodlessly playing the angles. Um, But yeah, you're right. They were more true believers. They were more Chassan than than Servier. Yeah, and and I think that... um, the just Servier's wife, whatever she's plugged into, she like knows. She understands like that they've all got to stop. You know, they've 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 got to shift what they're doing, and so she just must be hearing like through gossip or whatever. She, she's the one who's like, look, everybody, all the business people are paying. Uh, and so Servier uh, then decides rather than the French arresting Antoine, and and we got to go back and talk about how this sort of happens. But um, but your your point about Servier just he just lets Chasanya go, but also he realizes in just, he, he, what, the, what that shows is that even the most fervent collaborators were on the menu and that he, he, it, what it, what occurs to him is that his collaboration is not an alibi anymore. It doesn't save him. Well, and they see that in, you know, in the, so remember there's no public opinion polling. Right. Um, in fact, I learned uh, from something I was reading last night that de Gaulle's form of public opinion polling was early, and this would have been earlier in the war, would have been to, was to order things to happen and then see if they did involving the mass public. So he's, he, he would order, don't go out on such and such a day. Uh, stay inside or be on the streets on such and such a day. And then you would see level of street activity and you could see how many people were responding to uh, de Gaulle's orders or or requests. Um, that was the level of public opinion that they had, that people really had access to. So if you're a Vichy official prior to probably summer of 42, 
you could really kid yourself that the public supported Vichy, as a lot of it did. Um, and, you know, there wasn't really an organized resistance. There were kind of scattered groups doing scattered things, mostly like leafleting. Um, and, um, but there wasn't a, uh, there wasn't, you know, there was no way to test, hey, where is the public? Um, but now you have people marching through the streets and you have, uh, and you interrogate a hundred people and none of them will tell you who was there or, or where they are, right? People won't give them up. And they actually have these pretty granular ways of saying, hey, the public isn't with us. And there's actually a pretty frank discussion of that. Um, and if you're an official and you, you're aware that the allies are going to land at some point, that the Germans may well be driven out, um, and, and that the public hates you, right? That's a bad combination. Because, <laughs> right. like, what are you going to fall back on? You're going to retreat with the Germans? You know, yeah. the most ardent collaborationists actually did that. Um, you know, so like, what are what are what are you going to do? So, if you're Servier, you start playing both sides, and Janine did it in the last episode, and Servier does it in this episode. Yeah, although I would say, like, to me, what struck me about Servier's move here, which is like, well, instead of the French police arresting uh, the resistance, which I don't want to be the one who's got the resistance blood on my hands, so I'm going to hand them over to the Germans. I guess my my thought on that was like, this is going to be a slight distinction without a difference, my friend. Like, I'm not sure this is the big move you think it is. Um, but I think at the at the time, it's he's certainly trying to distance himself, distance himself from anything that is anti-resistance now. Yeah, but 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 his wife's point is even more sophisticated than that. Her her initial point is, why do you want to be involved in this in this operation at all? Um, you know the people hate you, you're going to kill a bunch of local boys. Um, yeah. what's in it? They love Antoine. You know, you're going to, what do you gain from crushing him? And he's like, we have to, because look, they're going to shoot Shasanya. Um, maybe I'm next. We actually have to deliver something. And her response is, okay, in that case, turn it over to the Germans, make them do it. So it's not a French operation and tip off the, you know, figure out how to get them to escape so the operation isn't even successful. She's really smart. And that's actually exactly what he does. He pulls back the French forces to give them room to escape. They all escape except four of them who, you know, end up performing the play for Muller. Not, not the greatest <laughs> end of the season in my view, but okay. Um, at, at least if you're going to perform that play over and over again, you should die as a result of it. Um, <laughs> um, but um, uh, he forces the Germans to take responsibility for the thing and makes the thing unsuccessful. Uh, and of course, thereby gives himself an argument if it ever comes to that. Hey, I, I, I was always, I, yeah, I was inside the government and yeah, I organized some Jewish, uh, 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 you know, uh, deportations and some bad stuff. But when push came to shove, Antoine's alive today because of me. And, you know, that's uh, probably even true. Yeah. Um, well, let's, let's talk about the other sort of key 
plot point that's going on um, as all of this is unfolding, um, which is there's really there's really sort of two other tranches of things that are happening. One is um, the Lucien Barrio Marguerite situation, um, and the other is our resistance guys in the woods. So let's talk about. Uh, Marguerite and Lucien and Barrio. So Barrio's back from Leon, wherever he was, um, and uh, is is stunned to find out that Lucien played a key role in this. Uh, basically, just says didn't think you had it in you, um, but is you know proud of her. But is also you know now he's he's running the numbers and he's like, who has to talk? Uh, I can see how this goes sideways for us. We probably have to get out of here. Like, there's probably no way that this doesn't um, eventually find its way back to us. Uh, and uh, and already, and sort of as he's saying that, basically cops show up, it's French police, which is a slight relief for them. Um, and uh, Lucien and Marguerite are being hauled in for questioning. And the broad strokes of this is that they, or no, he he basically, he stalls them while they go work on their story. And so when they get called in for questioning, they do well. They like have the same story. They plan to say what they had for lunch, which is the lunch that they had the day before. And Marchetti just can't quite catch them in the lie. Uh, but then he does this cop move that I see in lots of shows um, that is clearly something they must teach you because they see it all the time, which is interviews over we're exchanging goodbyes and pleasantries and then at the end there's sort of like so this last thing if you had this salad uh that you say you did of turnips there's turnip peels in your trash right uh and they basically for for, for reasons of when trash is emptied the peels would have been in there had they actually had the lunch that they said they had and uh this uh leads Lucienne, who by the way holds up quite well under questioning uh, she then takes a real story and a real sense of shame that she has about kissing Marguerite and turns it into their alibi. They couldn't have been seducing the guard or to getting rid of the radio because they were uh, making out. And it's a kind of a funny scene of Marchetti. Trent Lario's like, what are they talking about? I don't understand. Like, what is what are they saying happened here? Uh, and it just, it did occur to me in this scene that, for a devout Catholic, like all of the things that Catholics aren't supposed to do, uh, have premarital sex, have an abortion, uh, have a lesbian slayer, same sex. She's done all of them. She is, she, you know, whatever. And so she's got a lot of, it, and she's crying. So she's quite, you know, compelling in the interview. Uh, and she so gets, she sells she it. She gets the benefit of all the experiences and all the guilt. It's, yeah, uh, that's right. it's like, it's, it's <laughs> and she, she unleashes the guilt. And so they're, they're basically, they're let go. Um, but she is in a cell at one point with Marguerite talking about how dirty and bad she feels about all of it and how she, she's also weirdly like, I love Barrio, which we all know to not really be the case here. Um, it's more that that's where she feels safer in this moment. Yeah. So this is a super complicated set of, interactions both with the cops and between the two of them because Lucienne clearly was into it and is not uh, prepared to face that. Um, also, it is the fallback story that's going to get her off of 
suspicion of having participated in sabotaging the radio. It then does not work because Rainier, the uh, radio operator, uh, blows the whistle on Marguerite that he was the one making out with her, not Lucien. Uh, and so she gets the shame of having to play the card of using that story. Um, she also, it is ultimately not successful in the sense that uh, Marguerite still ends up in an interrogation room with Marquetti, uh knowing full well what the real situation is and, and being pressured to uh, blow the whistle on Antoine. Um, and of course, she ultimately cannot hide from Berio either that it happened, uh, about which Berio is not especially stoic uh, the way he was about Kurt, either because he's uh, a little bit less tolerant of lesbianism than heterosexual sex, or because he uh, is a little bit less tolerant of uh, marital infidelity than he is of things that happened before he was in the picture. Um, I'm I, I quite like Barrio these days, so I'm going to decide it's more the latter than the former. But you know, it is a he is very hurt by it, um, and so I um, I, I don't know. I'm 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 more interested in your reactions to it uh, than I uh, in my own scattered thoughts about it, but it actually seemed to me like it's, I, I thought it was a pretty uh, intricate and upsetting uh, uh, set of plot developments, both from the point of view of, of the uh, pressure that the cops are able to put on people who are actually legit resistance. Marguerite is not a traitor. She's like, like, uh, 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 I'm, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting his name, the industrialist who does business with Schwartz and who, um, Alb Albert, Albert, what is his uh, last name? Uh, it starts with a C and he has to die for, for it too. Um, you know, these are people who were legitimately committed. Cremieux, Cremieux. Cremieux, just like they have, something super big on Cremieux, like the lives of his wife and daughter, um, uh, you know, these people have, Mercati has, has serious leverage on Marguerite. And it's, uh, I, you know, don't judge people. I only feel for people who crack under those conditions. Um, and so it's, um, you know, I thought it was a very upsetting set of scenes. Yeah, I mean, so here, the thing about Lucienne. So Marguerite and Barrio both love Lucienne. Lucienne probably doesn't quite love either of them. Um, but both of them are sort of captive to their feelings about her in these situations. So for Barrio, I don't know, I don't fault him in the slightest for, uh, I don't think that it's like homophobic of him or like that's what's driving it. It is like, at one point he just says to Lucienne, like, I have no idea who you are. Like, I don't think I know you at all. And I think that that is a fair reaction to uh, 
you know, he already knows that she is certainly fallible. Um, and, and, but it's like Marguerite under questioning says this too to Marchetti. She's like, Lucienne is stupid. Like she just, you know, like both of them find her charming and whatever, but I think both of them also, this is a limited person that they're dealing with. And like, but, but it is, but it is Marchetti kneeling beside Marguerite saying, let me tell you what they're going to do to Lucienne. They're going to rape her in front of her husband. And once they know you're into her too, they'll, you know, in front of you too. And like, he puts these like horrible images in her head. And it is such a complicated, um, and, and sort of, it, it, it does crush your soul to watch her flip because the fact is they just did risk their lives for this mission that she's now diming everybody out for. Uh, but it is because of the isolated threat to Lucienne in this moment that she doesn't know what to do. And the thing is, Marguerite understands cops. Like at one point she's like, you wouldn't have me in here if you didn't have a deal for me. Like, tell me what the deal is. And so she, just like her Mew, is confronted with do the thing that helps save the lives of the people who are most important to me in the world. Uh, and I'll give up a more abstract thing that's very important to me, but I'll I'll give it up because I love these people too much. And I think that is, it's human. I don't know what to do about that. Um, so uh, what is to me the most devastating Part of this. And, and so in these scenes, which is sort of incredible, it's my favorite part of these episodes besides the Chassagne and Marcel cell scenes, is that you're watching all three of them try to make really fast decisions, right? They've got to flee. They don't know who each other are. The trust is really broken. So at some point, you know, uh, we find out that one of the cops... Uh, who also is working on the inside. Uh, we've seen him now in a lot of scenes. I think he's the one who forged the letter. But he basically comes to see Barrio. He's like, I'm with the resistance. She flipped on you guys. She sold you all out. And uh, and everybody knows. We know. We just saw Janine do it. Everybody knows that when somebody has infiltrated the resistance or is or is a threat to them or is putting their lives at risk, they got to go. And so Marguerite has just signed a death sentence. And so Barrio gets his gun. Uh, and so not only now has has she admitted to, because she says it at some point to him, uh, maybe she says it while he's got the gun pointed at her, um, that she also loves Lucienne and like knows what it's like to have her in her arms or something like that. Uh, but at the end of the day, Barrio cannot shoot Marguerite at, point blank range. He just can't do it. Yeah, I mean, he protects, she betrayed the uh, encampment in order to protect, among other people, him and his wife. And um, uh, and that's a, you know, a crime that the resistance can't forgive, and probably rightly so. Yep. But it is a crime that he personally can't punish her for. Um and that strikes me as wonderfully human. I do think, and again, I, I think Berio is this character who starts out as a kind of clownish figure uh, and a figure of some contempt of, um, uh, and grows and grows and grows on you. And I think his handling of this whole season, um, but this episode in particular, uh, he has exactly the right mix of, of, 
emotions and responses. He's very, he becomes very Marie-like in basically just quickly doing the right thing. Um, I do want to say that uh, like Marcel in The Cell, uh, I have had during this recording an insect visitor, Uh, not a cockroach, uh, a a, a grasshopper. And you may have heard uh, this grasshopper chirping earlier in the episode. I want to say that unlike Marcel, I did not build a home for it and uh, and defend it. I uh, just vacuumed it up while Sarah was speaking with uh, uh, dispatch and Mueller-like efficiency. And so uh, there will be no more chirping uh, on this episode. That noise that was coming from that that cricket noise, you're telling me that was one cricket? I thought you were surrounded by thousands listening to that. So, well, I thought there were some, like, uh, confused cicadas outside, but while you were speaking, I my eye lit on a cr- single cricket inside the uh, confines of my little recording studio room here, and you saw me. I reached over with a little handheld vacuum cleaner and looked him up. Did not hold a trial for him, by the way. Didn't get him a defense attorney. No uh, justice in the Wittis house. There is, I mean, <laughs> he was simply summarily executed. And uh, and now um, uh, the, uh, the 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 terrorism of the crickets has been been alleviated. Yeah. Um, so I just want to let's I want to wrap up this um the Lucienne uh Marguerite storyline because what happens uh and it's interesting I I don't know if you have an opinion on it but like like I said they're all trying to think fast so they're all making these kind of strange not strange decisions but like Barrio's got to decide whether to kill Marguerite Marguerite's got to decide whether you know they're all leaving together um and, you know, is sort of taking Barrio's word for it that he's going to get her out of there until she realizes that's not happening. Um, and then basically it's just like, she's just like, just just shoot me, like do it. Um, but he can't do it. Uh, however, at one point, Barrio sees the French co- the French resistance guy, it's Vernet, we see him on the way out, coming to the school. And he says, they're coming to kill Marguerite and tells Lucienne, I'm going to distract him. I'm going to hold him off. Go warn her that they're coming to kill her. And Lucienne begins to run to where Marguerite is. And instead of going down to warn her, she hears these two girls, and we've seen the two girls before fighting over the doll. She sees them fighting over the doll, and she runs out to them instead and stands there and sort of lectures them about responsibility and uh, consequences until we hear the gun go off. And we know that Marguerite has been killed. And we know that Lucienne just decided in that split second to not warn her, to let it happen. Um, And uh, as high a note as it was uh, the last two episodes where Lucienne does something heroic, I got to say, to me, this is the lowest moment uh, for Lucienne, because what Barrios, you know, despite the fact that we understand that Marguerite is now a threat to the resistance and she's done something unforgivable and there's, you know, there's consequences for that. Uh, on the flip side, 
everything Marguerite did was to protect Lucienne. And I think this is a good example of Lucienne being too cowardly, too small to know how to make the bigger, better decision, which is the one Barrio arrives at, which is she did this for us. Like at minimum, we've got to get her out of here. Uh, and he does that knowing that this weird thing has happened between his wife and Marguerite that he doesn't completely understand. Lucienne, on the other hand, Marguerite did the whole thing because of her and Lucienne just doesn't walk down the next flight of stairs. She just abdicates the decision of saving Marguerite's life and lets her die. Yeah, it's a really low moment for her, but Lucienne is pretty consistently reckless with other people's lives. Um, we learn that about her in the very first episode. Um, and Lucienne values her own safety above just about everything else. And she occasionally breaks through it, but there is a, a reversion to the mean that's pretty consistent with her. And this is a particularly horrible example of it. And the show puts a, a, a real asterisk or a pin, you know, a, a real foot stomp on this point by um, the dispute that she goes out to resolve is a dispute that we have previously seen Marguerite uh, uh, defending the actual owner of the doll against this uh, larger predatory girl who steals the doll from her. Um, and, you know, so rather than go warn Marguerite and get her running, she goes and sort of channels her uh, her dispute resolution issues to these two girls while, in fact, somebody goes and kills her. And of course, it's super convenient to Lucienne because with Marguerite dies the shame that she feels about the uh, lesbian encounter. Um, she, uh, 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 I suppose it's possible for her to, you know, when Berio says to her, uh, I don't, sometimes I don't know who you are. And she says, I'm your wife. It allows that that self-delusion to, uh, you know, persist and propagate. Um, and so it's, you know, she, Marguerite is very, her existence is very stressful for Lucienne. And, you know, if she just does her job for a minute and makes sure the right girl gets her doll back, all of these problems just go away. Uh, and, you know, they go away because some other mean person comes and, uh, doesn't understand the situation. And that's where, that's Lucienne's comfort spot, you know, when she can be passive and problems just go away on their own. And, you know, it's what uh, one of our listeners calls her goldfish energy. Um, uh, but this is, you know, goldfish energy uh, getting somebody, and uh, uh, somebody who loves her killed. Yeah. And was protecting her. Uh, so, uh, not, not, not real happy with Lucienne in this particular moment. Um, so, uh, so the last thing really is our, our boys in the woods. Um, thank God so at least the play is over now. I, I, I thought about you as I watched it. Um, and it was funny because the first time I watched it, I couldn't help but be influenced this time by you. Cause the first time I watched it, I was like, quite moved by the ending picture of Claude and, 
<laughs> gagging motion from Ben. Uh, I love Terry. Uh, I never liked Claude that much, but I sort of liked this idea of these boys trying to occupy themselves with this story that like surrounded them. Um, and I also think this is something that's like notoriously hard for television shows to do, which is like, whether it's a show about comedy and they're trying to like show you the comedy, the comedy's never funny. Uh, or if they're trying, like, you know, the show that that comes to mind is that Sunset. It's like, that was, I don't know. It was an old, by the guy who did the West Wing, that's uh, supposed to be like an SNL type sketch comedy show. And they would, you know, occasionally show you the sketch comedy, which is the whole reason that they're all there together. And it was never funny. Anyway, so the point is, is that the play, the play's not good. Uh, we only get very small snippets of it, but it was something that mattered to all of them, that bound them together there in the woods that was allowing this kind of transformation of all of them from whether it's boys to men, not the singing group, but the actual transformation, The whether it's, um, you know, re- uh, people who are uh, going, uh, trying to get out of forced labor to people who are actively, you know, part of the resistance and, and leading the resistance, meaningful Um warriors in some sense. So anyway, uh, I didn't hate it as much as you did. Although when I watched it this time, it lost a lot of its uh, romance for me because all I could hear was you being like, this sucks. (laughs) Um, But I will say, you know, uh, it is, it is a, it's a, it's, it's interesting or it's a good scene, like where they're all climbing the rock, it's raining and, um, and Anselm, who's got to be like in his mid fifties, uh, you know, scales the rocks. Antoine does it after him. It's 160 feet. They tell us. Uh, I sort of don't understand why they have to do this because now the, the you know, Servier's got the French back by miles, and so it didn't seem to me like maybe this was exactly necessary. But whatever. Uh, they're climbing the rocks, and then they're sort of pulling people up one by one, and. Claude and Terry and a couple of the other guys are going last because they're kind of scared to climb these rocks. Um, But at some point, the German soldiers show up and those four are still down there. And, you know, Antoine wants to go and save them. But Anselm says to him, look, kid, you're a good leader. The resistance needs you. Uh, There's nothing we can do for them. And so they leave them there and the rope kind of comes down and the four of them go back to their camp. And Claude seems to know. He's sort of like, give me the wine. And they start to perform the play and basically wait for the Germans to come. Um, Now, whether they know they're done for is is a little bit, you can't quite tell, but it seems like Claude at least knows. Uh, And at the end, the Germans get them. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is, you know, look, Anselm is right. You can get almost everybody away. Um, The Germans are literally within, you know, a stone's throw of where they are. They can slip away and, uh, or you can get everybody killed trying to get the last four people up the cliff. Um, it's one of those heartbreaking situations that's mitigated only by the fact that at least we won't have to deal with this play in season five. Um, but, um, uh, and you know, 
I think from a resistance point of view, the operation is a success. Marguerite betrays their location and they get everybody but four people out. You know, that's pretty good. Um, uh, the Germans, you know, Servier, uh, is Servier's information is actually helpful. He gives them, gets them a path out um, without ever communicating any information. I mean, it's all good, except that uh, they do lose four people and they're two of whom are people we've grown attached to or at least you've grown attached to. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, uh, and it's a super painful decision for Antoine, but, you know, he is, he actually listens to Anselm, who's, who's quite correct, and they get almost everybody out of there. And, you know, I think you are left with this sense, oh shit, some of our boys that we care about are have gotten killed. But, you know, from a larger military picture, they protected the unit. Um, and uh, that's no small thing. Yeah. Uh, well, I was sad uh, the first time that I saw this. I knew it was coming this time, um, but I remember being quite quite moved. Uh, body count's kind of high, end of the fourth season, just like that. And it was interesting, you know, the, the, the third season ended the same way, actually, with the resistance surrounded and some escaping and some not. Uh, and the and, first season ended that way, too, with the shootout at the... Um, shootout at the farmhouse and the secret tunnel and, you know, Dick Cavern and Marie having to, Marie killing the husband. Um, A lot of, a lot of, you know, bad narrow escape moments for the resistance people at the end of seasons. Yeah. But a lot of the, we do lose a lot of like ancillary resistance characters along the way. Um, And in this case, you know, we lose Marguerite. Uh, We lose our four guys in the woods um, we lose Marcel, uh, and we lose Chisanya, which no one's going to cry for him. And putting them together for an execution is sort of an interesting thing because there's a weird way that you feel about the execution, which is good riddance, Chisanya. I'm glad Muller got you. Uh, and, you know, sadness about Marcel, but also a kind of like, this was this was probably, this is probably the right choice for the show to make because otherwise it starts to strain credulity. And also, I'll just say that this slight flashback we've been getting the whole time, we see sort of completed in the moments of Marcel's death where he remembers this time that Daniel took a beating for him, that that he was doing something- For stealing toy soldiers. Exactly, for stealing some of his dad like miniature figurines or something. Um, And it is- nice it's something that it that the last thoughts on his mind was that his brother was a positive memory of how his brother protected him and that his brother follows that up by following suzanne's uh guidance that he should not be buried in the family plot um uh which would require a religious funeral um but should be buried because Suzanne does not know about his uh, waving away the priest, but intuits it and uh, wants him buried in the woods. And Danielle uh, uh, accedes to that. 
though it's clearly important to him at some level that he be buried in the family plot. Yeah, he does what, he knows Suzanne knows better what Marcel would have wanted, and he does what Marcel would have wanted. And so there is, in this, some long-awaited reconciliation of the brothers, even though in the cell, it's still, they're kind of feud continued, but with a kind of affection. And uh, anyway, I just... I think that the resolution between them is um, still complicated, but still satisfying. Yes, I agree. Uh, so key question before we wrap up, is the bulwark going to renew us for season five? <laughs> I think we can dispense with the theater and just say we're going to be back. So I did, I will tell you um, just to, in case you're planning your calendar uh, for the number of episodes. So season five, we are, we've turned a corner here. Season five is 12 episodes, but season six and seven are six episodes piece. Um, and so uh, that leaves us with uh, 24 episodes through about three months worth of episodes. Uh, and so, you know, we'll be done before Christmas. Um, but I'm excited uh, about it. We will yeah. be back next week with season five. Season five. And until then, Edith, take us home. Nous nous aimions bien tendrement. Oh, me t'aime tous les amants. Et puis un jour.